was a lot of energy that was being thrown out of the boat that we really could have used to steer us in the right direction. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Erin Milzinski, a multiple-time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner. And yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to season two of Unspoken Bravery. A lot has happened since our last episode, which made me take a break, take a step back, shift my priorities, and develop a little case of imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? How do I even do an intro? Does anyone even listen? But we are real here on Unspoken Bravery, so that's a little bit about how I've been feeling. But since our last episode, I've been to the Olympic Games in China, of course, which was an incredible, beautiful and different experience than my other games. And that was so unique because of the protocols around COVID and trying to stay healthy before the games. And also knowing that it was my last games and really trying to soak in every experience and really experience it. But the biggest news I think I have to share is that I decided to retire from World Cup ski racing, which some of you know, and it was the hardest decision of my life. And I am so thankful for the experiences and what it gave me and where it brought me. And it really is part of my DNA. It's who I am. It's how I got my name. It's in my blood. But it was time. And I won't go too much further into the Olympics or my decision to retire at the moment. We'll get into it at some point. And you'll hear little snippets along the way, I'm sure. But for now, I want to actually time travel back to before all this happened, back before the Olympics, when this episode was recorded. And I was heading into my fourth Olympic Games, needing some advice and reaching out to another four-time Olympian, Devin Kershaw. And Devin is a Canadian cross-country skier from Sudbury, Ontario, but I know him from Canmore, Alberta, and now he lives in Norway with his two daughters and his amazing two-time Olympic medalist wife. He is the second best cross-country skier that Canada has ever seen, and he's made history more times than I can count. He is the first Canadian male cross-country skier to podium at an elite level since 1988. And in 2011, he won a gold medal in the team sprint at the World Championships, making their team the first Canadian men's team to ever podium at a World Championships. That same year, he placed second in the overall standings. And I can't tell you how hard this is. Everything has to line up. You have to have your rest. You have to go hard weekend after weekend. You have to have your wax lined up. You have to sleep well, eat well, and be so on and so consistent. And that second overall is just blows my mind. He's been to four Olympic games, as I said, Turin, Vancouver, Sochi, and Pyeongchang. So we overlapped at three of them. And he has three World Cup wins, 14 podiums, and one gold at the World Championships. But beyond that, Devin is so down to earth. He loves adventure. He loves trying new things, loves being outdoors. And he's in medical school in Norway. So he just, he's incredible 
all the way around. And so I'm so excited for you to hear this episode, to hear the advice that I heard from Devin before my fourth Olympics and my retirement. And here we go. We're back. Season two, Unspoken Bravery. Welcome, Devin. Welcome, Devin, to Unspoken Bravery. Yeah, thanks a lot, Aaron. Really great to really great to catch up with you. Yeah, it's so nice. It's been a while, I think, since Brent's wedding. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's I haven't actually been to Canada since Brent's wedding, which is pretty wild when you're Canadian. I mean, I, I, who would have thought that this is the world we live in? I mean, in fall of 2019, there's no way I would have imagined that I hadn't been back to Canada two and a half years later. Oh my I, goodness. Uh, yeah. Have your kids met their grandparents yet? My, my, asked Isabel's met, met uh, her grandparents for sure, but Aurora has not met her grandparents. My mom was supposed to come here for Christmas, like just after Christmas, but Norway right now is, is just like a COVID disaster. Well, not, not with what's well, Omicron, like everyone else. So it's not like the hospitals are strained or anything, but there's a lot of positives. And my mom, you know, she's, she's almost 70 and she's totally healthy and stuff, but I, I don't know. I just didn't think it was the right call to come like right when Norway f- is exploding with case numbers. So we delayed it. So, but yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's what someone asked me the other day. They're like, Oh, it must be so hard being an athlete and going through this, but everyone is going through their own battles with this. And I think that's, I don't know, it's like compassion through it because yeah, we're going through this to try to go to the Olympics, but people haven't met their grandchildren and people are struggling. So it's like a moment of compassion. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It, like, and I just think, I mean, for sure. Like with, with sport, I mean, it's just when travel is just such a huge part of international sport and anything, I mean, Alpine cross country, but I mean, track and field, any, any sport really on the international level has so much traveling. Uh, it's, it's a, it's going to be a huge, huge stress, but I mean, just going to school, like I study now and I'm seeing everyone, you know, like I have a family. So for me, it's actually not that bad to do university over zoom. <laughs> it's, well, it's not, it's not the most inspiring, but it's, but it makes my life fairly easy but you know if you're if you're a 21 year old kid or something and then you're you're studying and you're living in like a tiny student apartment with which is like you know i don't know 100 square 100 square feet like a dorm room yeah. and you're not allowed to see anybody and it's not like just like one month or two months it's like been an on and off switch all the time i mean it's a it's a huge goal everyone's sick of hearing about it but it is uh it's it's um it's quite the moment to be living through for sure. Yeah. I feel like we need a vacation as like a community of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone wants to go to, everyone needs to go with Lenny to Hawaii. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so I was think I told you about this, but I was thinking of taking a break for the Olympics and not doing a podcast for the next couple of weeks, just because, you know, taking a little break, it's going to be really different there. And then Lenny and I were talking and we started talking about you and that you're four-time Olympian And I didn't know, I knew a lot about your history just from Lenny and knowing you, but then I started researching and Lenny called you a legend. And as I started researching, I'm like, you are a legend. You've made history for Canada so many times. Like you're the first male to podium since Pierre Harvey was in 1988 and he podiumed in 2006. And I was like, that would be such a cool conversation to have as I'm entering my fourth Olympics and you're a four-time Olympian just to pick your brain about, you know, your regrets, your lessons, if you could go back and do it all over again. And also like what kind of led you to your successes. 
Yeah, no, it's well, thanks, Aaron. Uh, I definitely don't feel like a legend right now. Now I just feel like a, a beat down dad. <laughs> that's that's so perspective is everything, but um, no, I mean, it, it for sure. It's been a crazy journey. Sport is sport has been a crazy journey for me and for, for everyone that's in it, and even watching from afar. And it's pretty wild to think that I went through four different, four different Olympic games, and and you know, I've had some ups and downs in those Olympic games as well for sure. And I think it's like, we live in such a weird, well, we don't, but can like, I, I would say like Canada and the U S like the Olympics is on a pedestal. I don't know if that's good or bad, you know, after living in Norway for a few years now here, it, it definitely feels really weird to me that, it, that it had that kind of pedestal status because here are the Olympics World championships. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. You know, but in Canada, that is not true. It's like the no. Olympics in an in amateur in, in amateur sport. Like the Olympics is to be all end all, and so that 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 feels a bit weird. But they, I don't know if you had this. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this too. But for me, like when you're at the games themselves, well, everything's weird about it. Like there's no sponsors anywhere. You're wearing all this really weird clothes. You're lucky though. At least like now your weird clothes aren't as weird as what the weird clothes I was wearing. Um, <laughs> but like just like. It feels, yeah, I feel like I'm in Blades of Glory. You know what I mean? If you've seen that movie with Will Ferrell. Like, it, it, it's, it's just everything about it is weird. Like, you can't thank sponsors. You can't have any markings on you whatsoever. None of the, there's no sponsor markings all over the course. Certain venues have had a lot of fans in my Olympic journey. And then others, like in Pyeongchang, like it was a ghost town in at the Olympics. And this is like the biggest event of the of the last four years and it, it's it feels like almost you know as the athlete racing out on the back 40 there it feels almost like i'm doing like a 12 year old race you know what i mean like there's a couple parents cheering and then nothing for the 15 minute loop or whatever to get back to the stadium so no but it's definitely and then then I'll, i don't know if you have this feeling too but like with the coc there's just so many other people into your bubble and they do an awesome job like they welcome you so so well, I mean, my experiences with the COC when I was on like the Canadian Olympic committee, I should say, they were always super welcoming for us and the cross country team and super helpful. And, but they're just like, your bubble just expands hugely. And, and then as soon as, as quickly as it expands, it disappears. Like after the closing ceremonies, like, boom, it's done. And you're like, what was that? That was so it's uh no, it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating experience. No question. Yeah, I know. After every closing ceremonies, it was like, you have this incredible high. You're at the pinnacle of your career, especially in Canada, as we focus so much on the Olympics. And then you walk the closing ceremonies and you're like, so excited, so stoked. You have a pizza party after. And the next day feels so low for me. Like all three times I'm like, okay, it's over. You know, I'm never going to see some of these people ever again. It's the start of a new quad. We talk in quads. So like as athletes, everything's in four-year cycles. And for me, it was just like, it ends. And then it's, I guess it might feel like how people feel after their wedding, you know, this huge celebration. And the next day you're like, okay, now we're married. Now what? <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. That that's funny. You mentioned that it's true. It's definitely true. And especially, well, I mean, I've had, I don't know if you've had those, those experiences, but I know how I have, like I've had, I've had times where, you know, one, one closing ceremony, I've never been to an opening ceremonies ever. Have you ever been to an opening ceremonies? Yeah, you have just one. I think just one. Yeah. Never. I ne we never did. We had, there's so many races in cross country skiing. So we just never prioritized it. I, I had no interest in going to the opening ceremony. Sorry for people that just like love the opening ceremonies. But for me, it's like, 
uh, that's cool. I can, I'll do the races and, and the closing ceremonies. I always, I've always enjoyed. They're fun. Like you said, it's a, it's a great celebration, but I've also had, you know, like I've had closing ceremonies where everything's so new, like in Torino, you know, I had never been to the Olympics before. You never know if you're going to go to the Olympics again. Uh, I've had a tough season that season is like the only year of my whole career that I had battled like real injuries. So I hadn't raced at all in November, December of that season. So my first races were like mid January and the Olympics came in February. So I felt like I was on the back foot. And you mentioned, you mentioned in your little intro, like a week after the Olympics, I was on the podium on the world cup. And that, that, that was like such a bummer, but I just wasn't ready enough physically at those Olympics. So I felt like I underperformed a bit, but my girlfriend at the time, Chandra Crawford stunned the world and won. So just to like live through that, like live through. So, you know, and at the time, like Chandra, she was like, and she's an incredible person, incredible athlete, but she was like, definitely it's all good. Never really thought of the Olympics that much. This wasn't a big thing for her growing up. It wasn't like she loved racing, but it wasn't like, yeah, she, she didn't have like, I don't know. She's not like a, she wasn't like a sports fan at that time. She loved doing sports, but she wasn't a sports fan. And to see a 22 year old, like win the Olympic gold and be a part of that, like on the inside of that was just so bananas. And, and Sarah and Becky winning a silver uh, medal in the team sprint as well with some drama, like Sarah's pole being broken and getting a new one. And, and we didn't have a huge history here in cross country skiing of medals all over the place. We're not Norway where you win, you know, 10 medals, the championship. So, so just to, to live through that for your first Olympic games was like such a wild experience. And I remember it was, it was so much trippy at the closing ceremonies, like girlfriend's Olympic champion, like Sarah and Becky sitting right there, they have Olympic silver medals. And then we, then we got on a plane and we're going to Asia. I remember we like flew to China. We did like a, a world cup sprint race in China after their, a couple of weeks after the Olympics were over and then onwards to Japan. It was just, it, it's just, um, for my first Olympic experience, like Torino was just like a cra- crazy kind of experience. It's, it's <laughs> to be so young and experiencing all that. And then, and then you fast forward, you know, like that was like a lot of success for the team and, and coming back. I mean, we went fast forward eight years and then in Sochi, we should have been at the top of our game. We were, our team was never stronger, you know, Alex, Lenny, myself, Babs, like we had the best results in the world cup of any generation in cross country skiing. That sounds like really cocky. I don't mean it to sound true. cocky, but it's just no, true. It's really true. Yeah. We had like, we had the strongest men's team we've ever had. And, and it was Murphy's law in Sochi. So it was like the complete opposite experience where you're like, you're riding into the games really high and fired up and psyched. Like, yes, we're going to do it. Like, you know, we were really close in Vancouver. So now we're going to, now we're going to take our rightful place. Like we've, we've been killing it here the last four years. And then everything was going wrong. Like our skis were a disaster. Um, coaches discussing with the other coaches at the games, like the, the staff, you could tell there was like a real pressure that was, that was cracking. Uh, athletes were, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if you talked to Lenny about that. I don't think we felt like it was like a big, big pressure, but we were super disappointed after race after race with like skis we felt like weren't good enough. And, and then you're not really allowed to say that out loud because, you know, they yeah, work so hard. hard and it's not, yeah, it's not the tech's fault that the, the, the skis are not as good as they could be because things are changing so quickly. Anyway, it was just like a calamity of errors. Yeah. And the contrast of that, like the contrast of that closing ceremony, <laughs> like when you're leaving Sochi 
and going like, what happened? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, no, it's a, it's pretty weird. Yeah. And I think like Torino, how old were you at your first? I just turned 23. Okay. Yeah. So, cause yeah. I was in Vancouver, I was 19 and it was my first and we were staying at a house. We weren't even in the village. We were, and, but it was the same thing. I was like trying to convince myself it wasn't the Olympics. And I, I was kind of too fresh to know there were expectations and like we were racing in Canada. It was probably more similar to how you felt in Torino and in Torino, your men's team, I think they said in the newspaper, you were the most anonymous men's team in the world. Like you just hadn't had the success or the medals, yeah. as you said, I mean, since 1988. So you kind of came in without that pressure, but with that love and joy of the sport and just like, I don't know, living through all of these Olympic medals on the girls' side. And then you had your podium after, but then I think it's so interesting because in Vancouver, then in 2010, you, you raced so well. Like, I know that you said that you sat in the snow. Okay. So maybe you should say it, but Devin was Devin and Alex came fourth in the team sprint, which is incredible. And it's, you walk away with that golden medal and it, at your home Olympics. And then in the 50 K you were fifth in a 50 K that's so long to race. And then, yeah. I mean, I'm an Alpine skier, so, <laughs> so long to race. You were 0.6 off the podium the split between one first and fifth was 1.6 seconds. And I heard you say that you sat in the snow and just were like wrecked, just so disappointed. And it's so interesting because you were so good, you know, like first to third get medals. And that's all anyone ever talks about. Like, are you going, are you gunning for a medal? But like, you were really spectacular. No, well, thanks. Like Vancouver, yeah, was like just a totally other experience. And I thought also too, like bringing, I, I kind of like used Chandra as the example because it was also crazy to see someone win medals with no expectations, like you said, like totally fresh, not just win medals, like win the whole show. Yeah. And and at the time, and then and seeing that change as she came into the Olympics in 2010 with like all these expectations, but Canada's sporting culture is like, we have a sports fan culture, but we don't really truly understand all these different Olympic sports, like intimately. So people just didn't understand that, you know, Chandra was going to have to do this in classic, which is a totally different sport. Like cross country yeah. ski is such a weird sport. It, it's, it's like, no one, no one says to, I guess that there is some athletes that can do it, but like, let's take an Alpine skiing, like, like Kilda, who's just crushing all the speed events on the men's world cup. No one is asking Kilda, like, okay, so you won in Kitzbühel. So that means on Saturday, you're going to race the slalom in Kitzbühel and you're going to win that. No problem, right? Like yeah. no one asks him that because they know he won't. He can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, so just like living through that kind of media storm was just, and the lead up was so weird. And then for myself, like, yeah, Vancouver was like, we, we, we performed amazingly well. I mean, Alex, Alex, my teammate, Alex was super young. He was 22 and he ended up, well, he was 21 and he ended up being top 10 individually. George Gray, who is like the a veteran of our team at the time, you know, had no top tens on the world cup ever. And he finished top 10 in an individual race at the Olympics. You know, Alex and I were fourth in the team sprint, as you said, and then coming into the 50 K was funny because like, I wasn't allowing myself to be disappointed being fourth. Cause it was, there was another race. We're in good shape. We have good skis. Like things are going well. So you just kind of have to like park that and be like, yeah, oh, that was close. Oof, bummer. But you're not 
taking the time to do any analysis whatsoever. You're just kind of like, I, I need to take care of my energy and I need to just focus on what's coming next. And, and in the 50 K I had just like a absolute banner day, no question. And, but I was too timid and I, I was absolutely didn't believe in myself enough to, to be in a better position when push came to shove. And I, at that time, especially like I had a pretty lethal sprint at the end of these distance races, especially compared to most of the other competition, the man that won that race, Petr Nortug is like one of the best, or probably the second best male cross country skier that ever lived. So there's no way in uh, like, there's no chance that I would take him out in any sprint, but, uh, so he was going to win the gold medal no matter what, but all those other guys that were ahead of me, like I was on paper, if I was there, it should have been pretty easy for me to out sprint them. And it, was coming with a lot of speed, but I just waited too long. And I remember, I mean, it's hard to know what you really remember because me memory is so, so malleable and fallible yeah. uh, in time. But you know, I, it's 50 K and you, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with 50 kilometer races, honestly, at some, um, but, but, and I've ran out of energy in some as well. And so I'm like, okay, I was really focused on the process and really focused on, you know, just skiing more relaxed than the people in front of me. That, that, that was essentially like my mantra, the whole race. And I'm not saying I fell asleep, but I think I kind of leaned into that a little too hard. And, and then when things started to happen nearing the end of the race, like with about a kilometer and a half to go, I, I should have been a bit more astute and, and got myself into a better position. And I didn't, and I left it too late. And by the time I started going, um, I was, you know, I was, I was going fast. I was passing a lot of people and, and feeling good while people were coming undone. Um, but I just ran out of real estate. I mean, the, the finish line came too soon. And then, and then you cross the finish line and then you're sitting, yeah, like I remember sitting in the snow, like you're wrecked because it's just a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. The 50K is the, is the marathon of the Winter Olympics, of course. And it takes about the same amount of time, like just over two hours. And, and then also it kind of hit me that like these Olympics are over again. This is yeah. it. Like, home Olympics. Yeah. Home Olympics. And like the men's marathon in the summer Olympics, like the last event is the, uh, in Vancouver, the last event was the men's hockey game. But, um, normally it's the 50 K that kind of ends the, the whole shebang. And it just kind of like hit me the disappointment that we were close in the team sprint, knowing that like, we're never going to get that chance again, or we could, but not, not in Vancouver and how close we were. And you start questioning yourself like, Oh, like, where do we have the right order in that day? Cause I mean, you know, in, in time you're like, of course, Alex should be the anchor. But at that time, like I probably should have been the anchor in Vancouver and, but we made the decision to do it this way. And then, and then, yeah, making a bad tactical decision in the 50 K. But then also there was, I had so many different coaches. Yeah. There was, was a lot of noise. That. Yeah. Like our program, we had a lot of like problems with the program leading up to those Olympics. And I just remember that like kind of flooding over me in, in my exhaustion, <laughs> just being like, you know, you know, when that you go out of an exam or a race and if you, if you can look back and say like, okay, could I have done anything differently? And if the answer is like, no, I honestly, I mean, you have to trust the decisions you make in the race too. So that, that would have been easier for me to get over like, okay, yeah, I left it a little too late, but at the time in the race, I have to believe that that was the best decision or yeah. else I wouldn't have done it, you know? But um, some of the noise, like we went through a lot of different coaches in the, from Torino to just from Torino to uh, Vancouver. So in four years, I had 
four different coaches. Yeah. Wow. With four and, different philosophy views. Yeah, four exactly. Ways. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's just not a good, that like not having that continuity is not, not a good thing. And, and so when this is all kind of like hitting you in the snow and you're like, I could have done so many things better or like we could have not, not just myself, but like our team could have, we had great results and we had great races, but man, there was a lot of energy that was being thrown out of the boat that we really could have used to steer us in the right direction. And that, that was, that, that sat, that sat poorly, but I think it also set us up or set myself up anyways for the next four years. I mean, I was pretty relentless after that. Um, yeah, you were. So, but that, that was, yeah, it's hard. It's just, it's just hard. And then you go to the closing ceremonies. I remember like watching, you know, watching the closing ceremonies and the men get their medals at the, at the, for the 50 K at the closing ceremonies, just like the marathon in the summer. That's just kind of the tradition. It's and you're realizing, win. Yeah. And you just realizing like, as these guys are going up there, you're like, man, I was right there and yeah. I was good enough. And it was the closest 50 K in Olympic history for the top five, like you said, and I was on the wrong end of it. And <clears throat> that was, that was a, that was a pretty tough moment at, at that time. Yeah. You know, of course it's super hard. And it's like, I, I think back to my last Olympics because I mean, it's not the same, but it was very similar because we switched coaches. I think we switched coaches every year, same as you, I guess, four different coaches between 2014 and 2018. And I came into 2018 and I was like, I don't know, at that point, hoping to do something special, but I had also been through a lot between those four years. And my first round, I made a mistake. And I remember at the bottom, like the first thing that went through my head is like, you just wasted four years. Cause like I said, we train in these four year cycles. And I was like that mistake, which was, you know, probably spent half a second making the mistake. And then it takes away another second. And it puts me, I was 22nd, I think for that run, I was like, literally you just wasted four years. You know, that mistake that took you out of the running for the Olympic medal that took you out of everything. And the next run I was third and it's not saying on the run. It's not saying I could have come third because maybe I was just so angry that, you know, I, I skied differently and I came 11th overall, but it was kind of the same thing. Like 11th was my best Olympic result. I was third on the second run. You know, I should have walked away with my head held high, but I just kept thinking like what I was pretty emotional about it. Like what could I have done differently? Where did I let it slide and what did I have control over and what didn't I have control over? But it's just interesting how, I don't know. I wonder how many other athletes feel that same thing because at the Olympics, again, it's like one to three win medals and the rest, you feel a little bit like a failure, I guess. Yeah. Well, you can for sure. And I mean, I think that's the brutal aspect of sport. I, I think that's, what's also beautiful about it. But I, I think like what I think is hilarious is when you're in it and you're still in it, yeah. not, like not to get all paternal here, but, um, but like, you have to give it everything you have. You have to, you have to put like your heart and soul into it because the margins are thin. Like you said, the margins are crazy thin, whether you're in Alpine or in cross country skiing, like even in a 50 K, like just look that example, you, you gave like my 50 K in Vancouver, like it came down to like one point, nothing, you know, yeah, for a two hour race. Yeah. yeah. It's so it's, it's super, it, it's super thin margins. And and you, it's hard to keep that perspective. And I think you kind of like, maybe it's not that even that helpful to have perspective like that while you're in it in some ways, because you need to have that kind of edge and you need to have that fire to, to push yourself, to, to push yourself to do the best you absolutely can. But as soon as it's done, and I mean, done, done, like I'm retired. And this is what I think is like, 
really interesting to me. And also, I think this is also a common denominator. So you're saying that you're like, you wonder if a lot of athletes at the Olympics, when they've been close or they've had, like they knew it was in them and they just weren't able to, to deliver on the day, they feel like that, that, that kind of like crushing weight of failure <laughs> or whatever, which is fair. I mean, like they didn't achieve the, the goal that they came out to do or whatever, but there's a lot of variables that came into play there, blah, blah, blah. But regardless, that's how they feel. So we can, we can honor that. But then when you're done, I mean, I'm curious how many athletes feel like I feel now on the other side of it, where like all that, all that, those feelings of like, yeah, feeling like a failure, or like beating yourself up over stuff or like, who cares? Like, like, you know, in a way, when I say who cares, it's like in the moment, it feels like everything. But when you come over to the other side, like ask me where, where my world cup medals are, like, where's, you know, my, my wife, Kristen, she's an Norwegian cross country skier. I mean, she has a few Olympic medals. She has like tons of world championship medals. Like, where are they? Like, I don't see them anywhere. Like they're probably in some box somewhere. And when we sit around and we meet friends or, or even just chat with ourselves, like, what are we chatting about? We never chat about like the perfect race and how we won and how we stood on a podium and all our friends and family cried and I cried and we cheered. Never talk about that. Cause that, that really like when it's all said and done, that is so irrelevant, but like, the good times, the trips, the funny stories that have happened, the hilarious travel calamities, everything like th- that, that is what we talk about. And we laugh till we cry. And it's kind of funny how that it's like that in sport. It's like, I wish that active athletes could, could kind of have the perspective that I have now, because I think that it would, Me too. because I think it would give them the space. I think it really would give you the space to just like there's nothing on the line. Like the only thing is on the line. I think it's supposed to be for fun. You're, you're supposed to just trying to, to put forth a beautiful performance and that's it. Don't make it out to be anything else more than that. Right. But that's so easy for someone like me who's on the other side to say that. And I wasn't like that. And I didn't have perspective like that. I was crushed after bad races. And as a younger athlete, it would go days. Like I could, I'd be like a total disaster. Like you don't want to hang out with me, uh, beating myself up like hugely. And like, going like, what if, and I got to do better next time. And, and yeah, like you said, like you said, with your slalom run, the second run, how like it can really give you the, the, the freedom to just ski, whether you're angry or you're just like all that pressure, all those expectations are off. And you're like, well, I'm just going to ski now then, you know? Yeah. And exactly. I, I had, I had races like that too, in cross country skiing, like the next day, the day after a tough race or whatever. But, but I think it's funny. Like, I just don't think any of it, it, it it sounds so like hippie, but like, it is, it, it's the journey. Yeah. Like it is, is the journey that you'll remember and all the Olympic medals in the world. What do they do? They just collect dust. I don't know. Like it's it, They inspire kids. I, I give you that. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. Seeing, seeing, seeing Chandra, like seeing kids holding an Olympic gold medal and how inspired they are and how like, just like, wow, it is that, that, that I, that I agree with, but, but for you, you personally, you know, cause I, no, I always I thought I, I needed one. And then I was like I, working so hard for that. And then I started this big project and I started to reach out more and a lot of kids don't even know, you know, I, a lot do know, but a lot are just like, Whoa, Devin Kershaw. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and the other thing too, is like, I think no matter what, I, like the reality is like, if you're a eight-year-old or like a 12-year-old or something and you like skiing and someone comes with an Olympic medal, it's going to inspire them. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. they have no, 
because they have no concept of all these stories I'm talking to you about, like the funny things like we did in New Zealand or like how much fun it was to travel to the world or whatever. Like that, they have just no concept of what that is. So it's, it's hard yeah. for them to relate to that. And I could sit down and have story time and they'll, they'll drop out after like five minutes because they, <laughs> because it, because they can't relate to it. Yeah. Whereas like an Olympic medal, they can see it on TV, all that sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm not trying to belittle the importance of winning Olympic medals. Like it, it's a huge achievement, but honestly, there will be new champions and you aren't, being an Olympic, this is my own perspective and I don't want to push any buttons for people, but for myself, it's like an Olympic champion is something you are for a day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're still sitting around like 30 years later saying like w- telling war stories about how you won, yeah, not, yeah. not, not the journey, not the journey you had, but having war stories like, then I woke up at seven and then I went for a morning run and then I had these and tested them and then I crushed the competition like people are like oh my gosh like you are you're a nightmare to be around like I don't want to be around you yeah like, like and 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 I don't want to be around people like that either like that won some medal like 20 years ago because this is the other thing with inspiration that I think is funny is like every generation has their heroes like so yeah. for me for me in hockey I grew up playing hockey and and you, you know like Wayne Gretzky was everything or Marlon knew <laughs> like these guys were like beyond gods yeah. And for me, Wayne Gretzky is still a god. I know he has all the records or whatever in the, in the NHL. So he remains like high school scores, like most points, blah, blah, blah. So I, so in the world of hockey, he still looms large because he's the best that ever lived. But, but if you go, went to like my hockey club back in Sudbury when, and talked to the 10-year-olds and started asking them about Wayne Gretzky, their eyes will glaze over and they'll be like, what? Like, yeah, my dad likes them. Yeah. Or like my granddad has a hockey card with him or something like literally that's what it'll be. But then if you say Connor McDavid, they're, they're going to like talk to you for like half an hour straight and like tell you like, come out on the ice. I want to trying this stuff and this, and it, it's everything to them. Yeah. And, and that's what I think is the beauty of sport. And that's what active athletes forget when they're in it is you, you think that like, no, I just need to win an Olympic medal or olympic gold and then i'll be a legend forever it's like you will not be a legend forever thank god you're not because that sucks if you win some olympic medal and then we all just talk about how great it was like 40 years ago how when you won something then like we're not progressing as a nation we're not progressing as a sport it's just like it's it's ridiculous yeah and like like I've always put pressure on myself. Like yesterday someone asked me like what would it mean to win an olympic medal and I'm like it'd be so cool to share that to bring that home for everyone. You know, it takes a village to raise an, an athlete. Yeah. And I used to say that, but now I really understand that with team fees and with my family and with everything, it takes a village. But I've always felt maybe pressure to then make them proud or to come back with that medal. And, but it, I was reading that, you know, we know Justin Wadsworth, he was your coach yeah. for probably the one of the longest periods of oh, time. Yeah. And you had your amazing results under him with him as a coach. And it was so cool reading that he said, you know, that it's not about the performances or the medals. It's about those times on the road, you know, and that's, that really hits home hearing a coach say that, because like you said, they can sit and say, okay, I had Devin and Alex and Lenny doing all these amazing things, but instead he's, he probably remembers those times when you were in Bend, Oregon, or when you're surfing on the coast or those camps, when you're staying in RVs in Maui. hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's yeah. my whole point. And that's my point with it all it is the hardware, the metals, 
it's all, it feels like everything when you're in it, like it feels like so important and you just want it so bad. But like coming back to the hockey analogy, like if you want it so bad that you grip your hockey stick with everything you have, your hands turn to lead and you're going to get leveled by the next dude. And like, you're not going to have the puck anymore. Probably you're going to have to be taken out on the stretcher. So like, it's about balancing that and, and like let go of the stick a little yeah, bit. Yeah. You have to just like get into that flow state and athletes talk about that all the time, but it's, it's just like, and it's interesting, right? Like it's interesting to talk about that. I think about that all the time and, and especially like watching. So like, here's an athlete that, mo- that, that inspired me like to no end and his performances were like totally beautiful. But I bet you, if you were to talk with him and ask him, I'm just curious what he would have said. Like, so Simon Whitfield, the triathlete, he won Canada's first triathlon gold medal in 2000 in Sydney. And it was actually the first triathlon ever in the Olympics. It was a huge deal. And he was ranked like 36 or something. He was, shouldn't been anywhere close to the podium. And he ends up winning. And then he has all the expectations later in his career. And it takes him eight years to, to get back on the world cup or world triathlon series. He's still, he was still at a high level, but in, in Beijing, he ends up second in a, in a real dog fight. And it just like, what it, it just means so much it meant so much for me to watch those performances, but like now, like, you know, like Simon is just like a dad doing his thing. Like, you you know what I mean? You have to find other meaning in your life. And, and I was watching the triathlon this year in, in Tokyo this last summer. And it was Blumenfeld, the Norwegian man won. And it was like the most amazing performance ever. He was the odds on favorite to do this. All eyes were on him and he came to Tokyo and he like threw down and he won. And I was like, so moved. And then the first thing I thought, or like after a minute or two, I started thinking about, I was like, the funniest thing is in like 15 years or 20 years, Blumenfeld's going to be like some, just some, just some dad, yeah. like just some dad doing his thing. And isn't that beautiful though? Isn't that's the way it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe like, I really we pass so. it on to our kids, those resilient yeah. moments, but whether you win or not, you can still so, pass it's on. It's so irrelevant. Well. Yeah. Like at least, I mean, and, and that's funny. I know I'd get some heat hearing that. It's like, oh, that's easy for you to say one, I have the one Olympic medal. So it's easy to like, just kind of like, you know, a defense mechanism or something, but that's, yeah. but you know, with what I'm doing now is, you know, I'm studying and it takes a lot of energy, but I'm also a parent of two young daughters. And, and like, I think people don't understand, like, <laughs> I couldn't feel further from an Olympic athlete, like right now. And I'm good with it. Like, I'm totally good with it. I mean, I try and get out and do some exercise every single day, but you know, when I'm buried in books and studying and, and the people I'm studying around and what I'm studying, like they do not care. Like it is not a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, and thank God I'm glad yeah. actually, yeah. because they don't want to hear about, they don't even want to hear about the fun stories. Like people I study with are like, literally, I, I might as well say that I'm uh, anything, you know, like yeah. I've worked at in, in some, in some warehouse or something that's about as interested as they are to go. Like, yeah. oh, cool. Well, how is working in the warehouse? Like they don't care. Like how yeah. is going to the Olympics? Like not into sports. They do not care whatsoever. And I'm, and I do the sport that is their national sport here in Norway. And yeah, that's it's just say. not, and it's just not a thing. And it's actually really refreshing. I think it's good. I'm like, this is awesome. Cause you know what, now I'm doing this and then we're going to try and do this to the best that I can. And that's true. Like everything we do, we try to do it to the best we can. And when you even said that, sometimes we think back and we're like, what could I have done differently? And you can walk away with your head held high if you did everything you could. But I feel like no matter what, you can always 
look back and find a problem. I mean, that's what race debriefs are for, right? You can find yeah. where you could have done better or where you went wrong. Even, you know, the race I won, I can look back and be like, everything went wrong, but yeah. somehow it was just perfectly right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, but with that too, here's, here's the, this is how, like, I'm neurotic and, and I was really hard on myself, like incredibly hard on myself. (laughs) But one thing that I have been able to take with me throughout, and I think it is something that is, at least it's worked for me. It's been helpful for me is like, there's a, so this is so corny, but, but, um, I love tennis and one of the best sports books that have ever been written. If you like sports, you don't have to like tennis, but like under Agassiz open is like, it's one of the most amazing books on sport, like about sport. If you're, if you're into that kind of thing, but he wrote in there, he wrote in there, he's like, I can live with disappointment, but I can't live with regret. And that really spoke to me. And I think back, even in that 50 K, like I trust that I made the decision at the time. Like I don't regret pretty much anything in my life. Like I don't regret it because like, yeah. If I went back in time, I can't go back in time with 2020 vision, like with hindsight, I have to come back in, take that time machine, jump in the DeLorean or whatever, go, go back in time, back to the future or whatever. But like, and sit in that with the knowledge I had at the moment. And I really do believe like in that race, in the 50 K as hard as it was in the debrief to be like, wow, dude, you too long and the opportunity of a lifetime passed you by that's hard to that's hard to stomach but if you could transport me back into myself with 2k to go and ask yourself like you just press pause like so do you think you should like start moving up now i would have for sure said like no way no 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 be patient be patient and i was being too patient yeah that's true so i've always trusted like i've always trusted the decisions that i've made were at the time I was making decisions to the best of my ability with the information I had at that time. Yeah. And that's what you're known for. Like, I know you're super curious and you're super intelligent and that maybe sometimes made you be more critical or overthink things, but maybe you can look back too and think, okay, I know I process information. Well, I know I thought about that because you think about everything or I think about everything. So I'm putting words in your mouth, but but then you can be like, I, I tried my best, like you said, with the information I had at that moment, but then it's, I mean, it's another story. I mean, you, I sit here too. You say you sit here retired and I sit here in it. And I know, like, I have that perspective, I think too, you know, and I, I I can sit here with it. I can go to the top of the course and I can have that perspective and I can push out of the start and it all goes down the drain, you know, in like a millisecond because we're brought up giving everything we can. Maybe these expectations are on us. And you sent me something the other day too, that Norway with their team, they're sending to the Olympics. They say, we know we're going to send a good team. We know it's a good team right now, but we're not going to guess how many medals. We're not going to put an expectation on them. We're just going to make each of them be their best and see what kind of medals come out. And I mean, they're dominant, but that's sometimes when I'm like, maybe it's just ingrained in me to have these expectations and to think about the future result instead of being in that present moment, even if I can have that perspective. Yeah. And I think that's something you have to work on. I think that's something it's going to have to work on like forever. I mean, I'm working on that of course, forever too. It's, it's, um, but yeah, it's just, 
you got to get out, you got to get out of the way of yourself. You know what I mean? And this is, this is a classic, like do as I say, not as I do, because I struggled like you, you alluded to that, but like, I struggled like that big time in my career. Like, like where was the biggest mistakes or what was the biggest things mistake, I guess. Sure. I said, I never regretted anything. And I don't, cause I honestly think I did what I could have done, but, but you know, like I was never good, like two things. Like I never really believed in myself because I'm super analytical, like you said. So I always felt like there was, I could do better and I should do better. And I was incredibly hard on myself, like super, super hard on myself. And in some ways, I think it motivated me a little bit like that, that second run at the Olympics you talked about where you had the third fastest time in the second run, like it motivates you to like put down some beautiful performances, but it is so inefficient. It's crazy inefficient. You use, you waste so much energy and then to have pure performance over time, I like what separates, you know, like we talk about a whole bunch of different athletes I mean, in cross country skiing, like Becky Scott or whatever. She's a, a legend in cross country skiing, Olympic champion in 2002. But I mean, you know, she finished second in the overall world cup one season as well. Um, but it's not even close, like not even close. And, and neither am I. Like I'm not even close to like Johannes uh, Klebo in cross country skiing or Petter Nortag, but like compared to the best that ever lived, like no, he's a footnote. That's just how it is. But I'm always curious with those best that ever lived. They just have that ability to manage their energy better than everyone else. All the rest of us, like it kind of seems like I know Alex, who is far better than I ever was. He always believed in himself. Yeah, I joked around with him that I, I always joked around that he was like cocky and stuff, but like, but, uh, I'm not sure that's true. Like I, I think, but he believed in himself always, 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 always. And I would say like, I believed in myself never, like I never <laughs> believed in myself ever. It was almost like, this is not happening. If I had a good race, it's like something must've happened. Like that shouldn't have happened. So, and I saw how much that helped him, but I also saw like Alex, another thing Alex had that I didn't have is I, I was kind of like so analytical and so wanted it so bad that I would turn not, I wouldn't, well, Lenny would probably argue me on this, but like, like I, I don't want to say that I was like a pessimist all the time. I would like to say like, I'm realistic or I was like trying to do like disaster thinking. It's like, okay, what's worst case scenario? Let's go through all those. And like a guy like Alex, never, never did that. He's super optimistic. Always like things should work out. Like things should go well. Like, why am I going to waste any energy thinking about like what could go wrong when I could just execute? And, and that's what Alex did. And those are two things that like separated like Alex and I in a big way. And I think that really helped Alex to be a better athlete. I think I probably could have been a better athlete had I just got away, got out of the way of myself and been kinder to myself, like you said, and just, just uh, not wasted so much energy. And I think that's, that's something that I think all athletes need to understand. We talk about perspective and we talk about perspective here. It's like, it's just sliding around plastic gates drilled into a slope. Like, and you know what, after your training today, or do we have a, you have a rest day today, but like after your training tomorrow, there'll be another one the next day. And yeah, there might not be another Olympics in four years that, that there might not be when we get into the later stages of our, of our career. But so, so whoopity do there'll be other huge moments in your life. Like God willing kids, if that's what you want, or, you know, I know that you have, you know, you have nieces, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, just see that, like just hang out with like little kids 
and especially little kids that are your family and just like observe it for a second. And you'd be like, you're being honest with yourself. Like that, like just watching them play with a puppy or something like watching a little kid play with a puppy or watching a little kid learning something for the first time, like biking or whatever it is, is like gives you almost like more joy than, than like winning some ski race. Like, you, you know what I mean? It's weird, but yeah. we can't, we can't have that perspective when we're in it. And that's, I think that's important to, to at least recognize that like, it's going to be a big deal. This should be a big deal. You put a lot, you put your heart and soul into it and you really want it. And that's good. These are all great things. But I also think don't lose sight of the fact that it is like a game. It is just, for, it is for fun. And yeah. it is also a huge privilege to be able to go out every day and work on yourself and see how good you can be in something that's so meaningless as sport. That's a huge privilege. And yeah. I think we miss at least I did later in my career and at times, especially going through hard times, you miss that perspective quickly. And I think it's important to like slap yourself across the face a bit and be like, wait a second, I'm getting so worked up about this. This means so much, but like what a privilege this is. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex is interesting too, because maybe I know Alex a bit better because he's come to Maui a few times. And like you said, he kind of has that perspective about everything. Like he's learning how to surf and he's optimistic about it. He's like screaming in the water and I'm trying to be all incognito so that I'm not on someone else's surfing turf. And he's, he's kind of like that Lenny. And I say, it's like the winner's mindset, you know, those people that they're always optimistic. They always find something that they did well. Sometimes they can actually see the reality of when maybe it wasn't their fault. Cause sometimes it's, it's not your fault and it's hard to point a finger and it's not right to point a finger, but sometimes it's realistic as well. But we noticed that with Alex, but then, you know, as you're sitting here and, you know, you miss the opening ceremonies because you had so many events and that's kind of a choice to make sure you preserve energy and energy preservation. I mean, it's so important for your sport, but for all sports, like I think about that too, is it an energy gainer or is it an energy taker? Like maybe it'll give me energy so that I'm like, okay, I'm at the Olympics. I have more energy. This is awesome. Or maybe I'm so tired after that it takes it away and adds pressure. But I think that that's kind of an interesting thing too. Like, how do you find that middle ground? You know, we've both heard of the athletes that go and go to the bar before their event where they, you know, they don't even think about their energy. They go and do things just to have fun. And then they come and perform. And then there's other athletes like Michaela Schifrin is definitely so dedicated she thinks about her energy. She does everything to a T and that's where I'm like, where do you find the balance between just enjoying life and making sure you're happy all the time and then making sure your energy is up and you're, you know, you're, you're taking those professional steps forward too. I think that that's such an interesting thing. And that's maybe not something that I've always found this middle ground. I'm more like you, you know, I I make decisions that are professional that put me in the best position for success but in doing so, how many times have I taken success away from myself? Yeah, well, that's the, that's the question. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's, you know, I think like the takeaway from it is like the Bodie Miller, the Bodie Millers of the world are going to the bar and then winning and stuff. You know what the coolest thing with that is, is like, that's what he felt he needed to perform. He didn't, he didn't question it whatsoever. He just drank those beers, had a good time and crushed everybody. Yeah. And on the flip side, Michaela Schifrin, she's not spending one second questioning her decisions. She's like, this is how I live my life. It's a monk, it's a monk-like existence. And no one can ski a faster, like tighter line through these gates. 
and I'm just going to keep crushing. And this is how it, this is how I do it. This is how I will do it. And this is me. Like I'm authentically myself. Bodhi yeah. would say the same at the yeah. time, at his time, you know, like he'd be like, this is just authentically, I mean, this is just Bodhi being Bodhi. And, and I think that's something that we don't take into good enough consideration. And I mean, like I, you have to know yourself, like what works for you and then be good with it. And that's where Alex also has been like good with it. Like yeah, the he's just, he's just good with it. He doesn't second guess it. Like when Michaela Schifrin goes to bed at eight 30, you know, she's not questioning. It's like, Oh, but like I probably should stay up a little later and killed it. Just one kid's people. So I should stay up and call him. She's like, no, I'm going to bed at eight 30. I'm not going to question it. I'm just doing it, you know? And, and that's all part of the energy. You only have a certain amount of energy and, and all those mental, the mental energy pieces of it all is something that I think like, man, I can have a huge impact on performance, huge, huge impact. on Especially this games with COVID going around. Oh yeah. Because it's mentally draining with all the testing and the worry and the masking up and, you know, wondering how it's going to be because most people are going in. I mean, we usually have a test event. I've never, I've never seen the place. Um, So I think it's the same thing. It's kind of, energy management, like you said, maybe energy management isn't necessarily managing what you're doing, but making sure that you are buying into your decisions and there's no, you know, what if, because, you know, we race prep before race and we have, we've studied it. We studied a lot with Matt Jordan, who I know he was your trainer. I love Matt. And we have this, this race prep now, now with, I have another trainer, but in reality, probably doesn't matter that much, especially for Alpine, what we do the day before a race. But if you're bought in and you believe in it and you're not second guessing it, but the timing or what you're doing, that's probably going to take less energy than doing something not as difficult and second guessing it every step. Totally. totally. And, and then I'm glad you brought up with COVID and everything too. Like every single athlete, every athlete staff too, like, you know, you group staff in, they, they, this is a big moment for the staff too. Just to be, to be a good coach or to be a good therapist, you have to buy in just as hard as the athletes That's or, so else, true. or else, or else the athletes will notice. And guess what? A team will exploit that weakness in your team and beat That's you over so the head true. with it. And so everyone right now is in like on high alert and has all these questions. So you have to just understand like the environment that you're in, like, this is just the reality and you have to somehow find a way to be comfortable in the uncomfortable that it's just like you got to let go you know it, it's 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 so easy to say when i'm sitting here doing zoom university but like it's it's uh, something else when when you just have to fly to the far east but but like yeah there is a risk there there's a risk for everybody that they'll fail a pcr test and then you spend two weeks in a chinese hospital in quarantine or something like that's a risk yeah but there's also a risk that we take for granted every day that we don't think about, you know, yeah. like we cross the street on a slippery day and we don't look both ways before we cross the street. No, well, just happened to be no buses coming to take us out. But then once in a while, well, buses do take people out. So uh, when they don't look both ways, when they cross the street, so it, it, not to make light of it, but it, cause it is, a, it is a huge load for sure. But I just think like, yeah, a bit like in yoga, like again, to get like hippie or whatever, like you got to notice you got to notice and like really feel that you're feeling these feelings. So you can't run away from your feelings. You can't like bury them because that does not work ever. Yeah. But, but you have to just like understand and, and accept it. It's like, yeah, I'm feeling anxious with this whole COVID thing. Uh, I've trained a lot. The Olympics mean a lot to me. And I'm just anxious that I, that I could get sick and this could all go up in flames. Like, okay. Yeah. 
good. You've given it, you've, you've given it the space it needed and then you can let it float by like a cloud in the sky. You know, it's just like, you've, you've noticed the cloud it's there, but there's some wind up there that's moving it, moving it away. And there'll be other thoughts that are going to come in after, which is yeah. like, huh, do I want lasagna or do I want bolognese for dinner tonight? Bolognese, and that's cool too. Sure. Yeah. Bolognese always, <laughs> but like, but, yeah. um, and I think that's something that's, that's something everyone can do better going into a championship. And like, I challenge you to do that too. And everyone that's going to Beijing or anyone that's doing anything, it's the same in the exams. Like I've, you know, in a couple of months, I've like this epically huge exam and I'm going to be like nervous as hell, but I'm trying to tell myself like these little lessons as well to be like, yeah, accept that. Like, if you get asked questions, you just don't know Well, you didn't know it. Like, what are you going to do? And that's okay. You prepared the best of your ability and some of it is up to, up to chance or up to higher powers or whatever. It's just like, it, it just, things happen. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's so true. And I mean, you can like, I was thinking about that last year a bit, like there's a chance for sure of getting COVID, but there's also a chance, like we have quite a few girls now that crashed in lost races and they're not sure if they can even go to the Olympics because they crashed, which is also a fairly high, Ugh. like case scenario in, in a lot of sports. And I know ski cross was thinking about that too. And your thing with the clouds, my friend Britt Phelan and ski cross, she says that too, like she pictures these clouds moving by, like you think them and then they just, they move and eventually yeah. the sky is going to open up and be a bit brighter. Yeah. And she also says, you know, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. It's like, it gives you something to do, but gets you nowhere. And that's yeah. sometimes I, like you said, I have to realize how I'm feeling. Okay. Today I'm feeling anxious. You know why? Okay. It is a stressful situation. Totally. Okay, what do I need? I need to be alone for a while. I need to maybe wear a mask more often or whatever it is. And it'll be different for everyone, but yeah, I think that, I mean, that can be for all life, for new moms, for you studying. It's kind of totally. a cool lesson to learn. Yeah. And I, and I think like, and then you have to know the strategies and use strategies that, that help you, you know, like to, to ground you. Like, I mean, I've, I've always like journaled or whatever, like kept a diary. You can say it. I don't, I, I can, I'm mad enough to accept that. <laughs> I call no, it like, like word vomit. Maybe yeah, I yeah, say yeah. the wrong thing. Yeah, it's yeah like, exactly. No. I like it. But like, you know, that's, that's helped me too. Like always has. So you'd have to find strategies to manage it. For sure. But I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it is, you just have to somehow find a way to protect your, your energy and understand that like energy doesn't just mean like smashing squats in the gym or, or doing that last run, like one more run down through the gates. It's, it's like, if you're worrying a lot, that's taking a lot of energy. Or if you're unhappy, that's taking a lot of energy. And yeah. But there's things you can, small things you can do to, to protect that energy and, and like take care of yourself. And I think that's super important. And like you said, with Alpine, like I'm always so impressed with all, I'm just this huge sports dork all around. So follow sport, but like, I, I, I mean, I have nothing in the game whatsoever, but like after seeing kill the win kids on Friday, the downhill. And, and then on Sunday, I was like nervous for him. Like, don't race, man. Like, why are you racing kids yeah. again? Like, if you crashed and I, all I could think of is like Spindall's epic crash there that tore his ACL. And I'm like, don't do it. But then yeah. later that day, um, there was a, I was reading something. I thought it was getting punked or something, but in the Norwegian media, like Yansrud is going to the Olympics yeah, he's back. Uh, after his like epic crash in birds of prey. Like I'm like, what he's back already. And then there was a thing on the news of like, they've been training in Kidfell and, and I'm just like, so inspired too. And I mean, I'm again, like I'm done. I shouldn't be doing any of this. I should be reading instead of like watching this sports stuff, but like, 
But um, yeah, like in your sport, like I don't uh, I mean, I know slalom is a bit different, but like Gogia, for example, like that sucks. The number yeah. one and number two ranked speed skiers in the world, there's a chance they might not start the speed events in only a couple weeks in the Olympic Games. Like, oh my gosh, that yeah. is, that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge burden, but that's also the price of admission. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Breezy is out. She announced it today. Breezy. Yeah won't race She's the done. Olympics. Okay. Yeah. So that's really sad. Okay. And everyone's were, I mean, Gojia is, I mean, it's not even about hard work at that point. It's like, how quickly can the body heal? Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, we were talking about that too, with the slalom girls and we feel a bit lucky at the moment because we have no races before the games, but you know, do you back off to make sure that you're healthy for the games, especially when you have such metal potential like Gojia and Gilde, but yeah. no, like you said, it's a price of admission and they stand in the start and they're going to go hard every single oh, yeah. time. And sometimes it's more dangerous if you do back off. Totally. It is totally more dangerous, especially in an event like you guys perform it. I mean, like downhill, everyone can recognize that, but like, I don't think every, well, maybe people listening to this recognize like, just like how fast you are actually moving <laughs> in slalom, but you know, like those gates come quickly and there's a lot of pressures and there's a lot of, yeah, there's just a lot of pressure in all your joints as you're smashing through those gates. So yeah, for sure. But if you, but if you kind of back off, or if you're a little timid, it's not just about putting down a bad first run and being hard on yourself with that. Like you can hurt yourself. Yeah. You have to get into that flow, flow state. Yeah. yeah the flow state. That's the best state. Yeah. It is the best state. Okay. We always, we always ask brave questions at the end of this. And there's so much that has gone on in your career that we haven't talked about. You know, you had, lung issues in 2014 and then 2015 you had pneumonia and you had whooping cough and then you had developed into asthma and then at the olympics and pyeongchang you were getting x-rays on your lungs and and still racing and dealing with all of this and in your sport i just can't i don't know i can't even imagine having lung issues pushing so hard in 15k 30k 50k but what do you think throughout your career we've talked a lot about i don't know what you would do differently, but what do you think made you so great and so brave and so resilient? I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I'd be like, I'm stubborn. I don't know. (laughs) No, no, to be, to be perfectly honest. And this is, this is maybe like, again, like sounds super woo woo. No, say it. But uh, no, but no, but you know what? I truly loved skiing. Like I truly just loved the movement of skiing. And like skiing with my buddies, I loved it. Talking total like ridiculousness. I loved every moment of that. But I also loved the, the feeling of like gliding over snow, especially like if the moon is shining and I'm by myself and I'm just in a forest back home in Northern Ontario or here in Norway or, or in the Alps or the Dolomites. The, the feeling of like groundedness and calm and just like, this is my place. Like, this is what I should be doing is I can't even put it into words. Like, I think like what, what allowed me to have the career I had and the length of the career I had for sure. Fam, like, like it goes without saying family, friends, support. Like this is, this is, this is obvious. Like without my parents, it's not happening. Um, same with good friends like Lenny or like Alex, like my teammates, but also friends that didn't ski. It doesn't happen. But when it comes right down to it, I did just love the motion. And I feel so grateful and so thankful that I was able to find, or that I just like, again, like this idea of like privilege, like how privileged was I that I was able to be born into a family that happened to like skiing and taught me that. And I fell in love with it and truly loved the movement. 
And, and I, I think that, I think that's what sustained me through a lot of like good times and bad times too. It's just like, a, 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 what can I say? I love skiing. I love winter. It's awesome. We're so <laughs> similar in so many ways. It's, I feel the same way. And I mean, I love my sport, but then Lenny always asks me when we're cross-country skiing, he's like, do you even like cross-country skiing? Or are you just doing it to be with me? And I love the motion too. I'm not really good. I'm kind of like a, I've you know, seen you pretty good born horse, <laughs> a little calf no, no. Up there. but, um, I agree. And I think that we're so lucky to say the reason we do it and keep doing it is for the love of sport. Oh yeah. And then the part two, because now I'm kind of asking you as a four-time Olympian, what I should do, like learning from all your lessons, like, what do you think, how can I be brave? Like, how can I enter this drop everything that's heavy and just go and have freedom there? Yeah. And I think, I think like the common theme of our chat here has been like letting go and you've got to find a way to just let go. And I think the answer was in the answer you just said, like 30 seconds ago, it's like you're here because you just love the motion and you love the sport and you love gliding through snow. And I know you're talking about cross country skiing, but in that feeling of flow that we've talked about a lot too, you know, how beautiful and a feeling that is, and you can take all the time and all the Olympic banners everywhere and all the coaches yelling and all that away, because when you're in it, that all falls to nothing. Anyway, when you have a beautiful day, when you have a beautiful race in the perfect day, none of that matters. And that's what I wish for you going into the Olympics. Yeah. No. Just, just let, let go. And just think of like the beauty in the execution and that's it. Everything else is noise, honestly. And you more than ever, anyone else, or not more than anyone else, because there's other people also in your position, but you're a veteran of the sport and you've been through it all and you've had the ups, you have the downs and take that perspective <laughs> with you. No, but take that perspective with you into the Olympics because a 21 year old won't have that perspective you have now. So that's a huge advantage for you to have. Yeah. You can yeah. find a way to just execute. Yeah. I, I, that's what I wish for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And then, so we always talk in four-year cycles and I feel like I've just been doing the same thing since Pyeongchang, you know, I'm training, racing. I mean, COVID hit, that's the difference, I guess. But so what have you been doing? What's next for you? Um, since yeah, the last four years, since you retired. Yeah. Well, I live, I live now, like now I live in Norway. So that's been a big change. My wife's Norwegian. So uh, had to learn the language and uh, my dream had always been to study medicine even before the skier or anything at a high level, like I just, yeah, I wanted to study medicine and work as a doctor. Um, and yeah, I found myself living here in Norway and, but the dream was still the same. Uh, it took quite a few, few hoops to jump through because my marks weren't any schooling in Canada was not, um, recognized. So I had to do everything again and it's really competitive as it is everywhere in the world to get into medicine. So I had to take a whole bunch of, well, for the people that are in Quebec and, and listening to this, like CEGEP, so it'd be like a grade 13 equivalent. I had to do like a full year of, uh, well, I challenged exams, but I had to get, then I had to get like hundred percent on all these exams to even have a chance. And so, so I did, I took a year and a half to get that done and then COVID hit and I didn't get into medical school on the first try. So I spent a year studying physiotherapy and then finally, finally, I've uh, been able to get into medicine and I'm studying medicine at the University of Oslo. So 
uh, it's been the last four years has been a lot of frustration and a lot of stress. And, uh, but also I had my second daughter in that time. So we have two daughters and, uh, asked Isabel and Aurora and they're obviously the light of my life and we have so much fun together. So my days, my days these days are just, um, studying, procrastinating and playing with my kids, which is, uh, which is uh, probably procrastinating is number one. And then playing with my kids because I'm procrastinating with school. So no, but we're, we have a, we have a great life here in Norway and Kristen works for, for a company called my wife. Uh, she worked for a company here in Lillehammer called Brav, which is the own Swix. So the parent company for Swix, for people that are listening and like Alpine skiing, they've heard of Swix before. So, so she works there and our days go pretty fast. Not going to lie. It's uh, it's a lot of fun though. Yeah. They're growing up so fast, but you never cease to amaze. I mean, you, in your career, you took the most anonymous men's team and you were kind of this front runner to make it into podium potential every race, which I think is so cool. You went through so much, you made history so many times and I don't know, you just paved the way. And I think that there's no one can ever take that from you. And no matter what you look back and think what you could do differently, you are a legend. Like Lenny, your teammate who came up behind you, that's what he calls you. You're a legend. And I'm so happy to have had this call with you and to catch up. I hope we can see you in person. Oh yeah, me too. I miss you guys. I'd really like to see you guys in person. And uh, thanks a lot, Aaron. And good luck for the Olympics and good luck for everyone. Yeah. Thank you. And I was thinking the other day how you also helped me get into backcountry skiing because you're the person I called and I was like, what do I need? Like (laughs) crampons, what kind of holes do I use? You helped me with everything. So I'm just so thankful to have known you through so many years and I hope we can pick up where we left off. (laughs) 100% we can. We just got to get this COVID thing to be over and then you guys can come to Norway and Lenny can do some surfing and backcountry skiing together. That'd be perfect. That'd be something to look forward to. Yeah. Thanks, Devin. No worries, Aaron. Cool. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Melzinski or head to my website, AaronMelzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review, and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero.